If you want to survive in here, you got to keep quiet. Having my wall up and not letting a lot of people in, not trusting too easily. I keep my mouth shut and I generally only have one or two people that I would associate with. Listen to the officers. They say, you listen. Hey there, you're listening to Bird's Eye View, a podcast that gives you a new perspective on women in prison. In this episode, we're talking survival. But first up, a few warnings. This is just a quick heads up that the following story contains material that may be disturbing, especially for survivors of trauma. Aboriginal and Torres Strait people are advised that the following story may contain the names and voices of people are passed away. If you don't like bad words, turn down the volume. My name is Julie and I'm from Galantgo community and my tribe is Tarwango. And I speak Jabarpungo Mata language. And if you're listening to this story, I'll take you back to my journey of how I grew up. I was born at Gallantgo Community at the old hospital there. Apparently, I was the first coloured baby born in the community. Coloured is a child that's got a different colour to a black child, which is brown skin, light, coloured kid. And when I was born, my father, a younger father, he didn't like me because I was coloured, because he thought that mum was pregnant to him. I heard rumours that my family didn't want me. At one stage I got told by people, oh yeah, your father didn't want you, he was going to kill you. But in the end they kept me. My mum, my biological mum, she must have met someone here in Darwin and she must have kept it secret. Maybe she didn't even know that she was pregnant to the white fella. It was a shame, shame job to my family for me becoming a coloured person. You know, it, it is double, no, in betrayal because one is betraying her husband and another one is betraying the culture. Because in our culture, it's with the younger people, you had to marry a younger person only. And that's been in their culture for a long time. And you had to marry your promised husband. And you have to follow that law because it's through your culture and how you've been brought up and through kinship. And it's been there for many generations. My mum was my father's third or fourth wife and 
that would have been very shameful for, you know, what she's done to her culture and her family and her husband. My mum died when I was two years old. And then my um my auntie cared for me. She only had one child to herself. And my my siblings, there's four of us. And my oldest aunties, kids, there were five of them. And my auntie, my mum's sister, which I call mum, she was a mother to all of us. She was a great lady because um, she was there for me and my brother and my other cousins. When I was 17, 18 years old, I met someone and he he wasn't a local person from Kalawinko, he was a white person. But I had a I had a um a promise husband and he was the same age as me. Promise husband is someone that um in your culture that you promised to marry this person. But he um had problems with sniffing petrol. And I, and I didn't like that, and he was a bit aggressive and violence was involved. And my family forced me to marry him, and I didn't like that because I was in love with somebody else that I met. And I got sent away to Canberra, where I had to live with my promised husband's family. Canberra was big and scary because it's um, it's not like a small community where you can walk around and visit family. It's it's really big. You don't know your way around. Um, I didn't know anyone. I was isolated from my family, friends, and I found a way that I can escape from that life. So I um, managed to come back home so I can be with my family and the person that I love. At the time when I got back to Alco, my promised husband, he got back to Alco as well. And he was trying to get me back to be with him, but I didn't like him because he was petrol sniffing it back home at the time as well. I remember going home and then that night he spilled petrol on himself and he burned himself. He got sent to hospital. He had um, 
really bad burns over his body. And from then on, people looked at me. They thought that I was the factor for that, that, that I did that to him, that it was all, all the blame was blamed on me because I didn't like him. I'd driven him to do that to himself and everyone blamed me, everybody. And like, I didn't know what was going on the night that he did that. I was at home. But because he was my promised husband and he wanted to be with me, everyone put the blame on me. I do have a lot of shame and it hurts me. It hurts me a lot. It would have been about nearly 30 years ago. It's, it's still there. It ruins in me because I just haven't had the chance to talk to anyone about it. During the time when I went back to Olco from Canberra, I got a visitor, my cousin, who came up to me and said, look, cuz, we're looking for someone to do background vocals and dancing. Have you got a passport? And I said, yes, I do have a passport. And she got me into becoming the background vocals and dancer for Youth Indie Band. And we traveled the world together. And that's when my nephew, Jeffrey Gurumol Yunupungu, was in the band too. And that's when Gurumol's mum and my brother, who is, I call him brother because he's my first cousin, they called me over and they said, it's good that you're in the band so you can look after Gurumol. So I did for a couple of years. We toured all over Australia. We went to Europe, Garland, and Los Angeles. It, it was it was fun because there were so many exciting people and very well known artists that we met. But you know, we when we were out on tour, we missed time. But when we were home, we missed touring. The Yorthi and the singer, the main lead singer, he was my poison cousin. So in, in our culture, with the poison cousin, you're not allowed to have eye contact, you're not allowed to look, give him something without having that barrier, someone there to sort of say something on your behalf or pass something. And you're not allowed to say his name or he's not allowed to say my name. But because, we, you know, we were, we were in the band and whenever we were not at our community, he would, you know, when he introduced the band members, he'd say my name because you had to introduce the band members. 
which was not like culture, but it was sweet. It was good. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me to travel the world with family members in the band. It gave me a good insight into the world because, you know, I saw myself not as a young person but a human being. And, you know, it, there is people out there with different races and we, and we all human beings and we're all family when you get to know them. So I um, come back home so I can be with the person that I love. We, we struggled to be together because he was a Balanda person, white person. We had a daughter together and then we had a son. After a while, everything was good. We've been together for 13 years. Everything was just a smooth relationship with us until he, um, in a way, I think he was trying to change me for who I was, like he, he didn't like some of the things that I um, did, like, you know, just going and staying up with my family for a while and, you know, have the kids go and spend most of the time with, with my family because of the different cultural backgrounds. So I, I didn't want them to miss that out. And, I, and it's, that was important to my kids and because of my mum, you know, she was ill. And at the time, we didn't know what she was suffering from. And I wanted them to have that special moments with her because I knew that she was, she was going to go. Me and my partner was having problems. And then um, he decided to move, to go. And... He asked me and the kids if we can come and stay with him. So we moved and he was he was spending a lot of time out bush and I was at home with my kids and we were isolated and I was missing my mum. And then one day um, I get a phone call that my mum was really sick and she didn't have long to live. And I was booked to go that morning to be with my mum on her last days, final hours. But I couldn't get to the airport because I had no transport, I had no money. So I missed the morning flight. And that afternoon when I did get to the airport, I had to beg the, beg, beg the pilot to put me on the plane. I was in tears. Because there was no, um, the flight was full and he said, he cannot put us on the plane. So I begged him and I cried. And he ended up putting us on the plane. But it was too late when I got there. 
her mom my mom was gone she died and that was that was very sad when i you know miss my mom passing and i got there when she's dead and i and i wanted to spend that last moment with her with my two kids and i was really angry because that was just unfair When I went back home, my partner and I split up. And that's when everything just happened. I started getting involved in selling ganja. My daughter has been ringing and complaining that she's been having pains and cramps really bad ones and that's why I'm in prison now is because I sent something to her that can help her with her pain when I sent the package I knew about the risk and I know it, it's not the right thing to do but you know, it's it's something to help her with her pain My daughter, she's 24 years old. She has MJD. Macaro Joseph's disease is um a genetic disease. It's inherited through your family. It affects your um mobility, balance, speech, continence, eyesight. It's a slow um disease. It'll affect your muscles and it slowly deteriorate into a wheelchair. My mum had it. My two uncles had it, and then I um, decided to have a test for myself, and it turned out to be that I did have it. It is really hard to see my child suffer. I can see it that her disability does affect her, and I know it's affecting my grandchildren as well. and it is very sad to see that because i'm not there to to help her and there is no cure i sent the um cannabis in in a package through the post my daughter and the police got it and that's why I'm here in jail and and this is my fifth defense now that I'm in here and and I realize that it it affects everything it affects my life my children my work I 
I look at my kids and I don't want my kids to suffer what I've been through. So I decided to um, become a community support worker with Makaro Joseph Disease Foundation. And I work with people with disability to help my family through what, what they, they are suffering now. When I get out of here, I go back to work. And I had um, my work colleagues come and visit me a couple of times here in prison. I miss what I do and, and I love my job because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's part of me and, and it's what I do and I love my family and, and I want to be there. When I had my um, son, who's a one with Down syndrome, I decided to stay here in Darwin and get a better life for my kids and get them education because I want my kids to grow up in a, a safety place, a safety environment and not go through what I went through. I want my kids to have a better life. I tell my kids whatever other people say, just be proud of yourself for who you are. Don't be ashamed. Be strong like your mum. Julie's living back in Darwin now with her family. She's back at her old job where she helps support people with MJD. We asked her if there's any chance she'll get back onto the touring circuit. When I get out, I'm, I'm not planning to go and sing. Um, I'm planning to do my research on what, what I love doing. I'm going back to my own routine. I go back to work. Will we ever know? Will we ever know if it was all worth it? One of the first things you need to know in prison to survive are the colours. Hi, I just got downgraded. I've oh. shut my mouth for the last three months and now I've got a fucking new shirt and I can go home. What do you mean you can go home? Well, I couldn't get parole unless I had this goddamn shirt. And because I'm very opinionated and very outspoken, you can't be you, Kelly. So I've had to shut my mouth and walk away from things that I would never normally walk away from for the last three months. Fuck, it got my shirt. Show us the shirt. Show yeah. Us the shirt. And a new tag because it's green, it's not blue. I've only ever been red or blue. Are you going to get changed right here, right like, now? Yeah, like, look at that. That's fucking... The first time I walked into the yard of the women's sector, it looked like a bunch of hundreds and thousands spread around. I had no freaking idea what the T-shirts meant, but they're all different colours. you got to learn pretty quickly. Orange, you're on remand, low, waiting to be sentenced. Blue is medium security. Green is low security. And open security is yellow. I'll never get there. When you're low security... You get to have your door open and move within the pod after hours. When I'm in low security, I get kettle, microwave, toaster. Go make tea on the night, sit around on a lounge. Bit of freedom at night, 
you can go in and out of your friend's cells. You're not locked down. You get your door open all day and you can rest any time of the day. Whereas in medium, our doors are locked at hygiene time. So that's about 10.30 and we can't go inside and have a rest. We're going to sleep on the couch. And there's about 12 of us, so we all can't sleep on a couch. So we just sleep on the floor, lay around all over the floor. Um, being a low security, you get to use a pool table. So you can come up to the office and ask for pool cues and pool balls and you get to play pool. You also get to go out on work party, um, which I am waiting for. (laughs) You get to go out in the community, you know, um, and be treated like a human a little bit. One of the privileges that you get being a low security prisoner is that there's no restricted amount of showers or toilet flushes uh, that you get compared to a medium security. Water is a privilege around here, and so are fans. <sighs> the one shirt colour you don't want to be, you don't want to be a red shirt. Red is high security, and it means fucking pure hell. You don't get the mix with any other prisoners. You're locked down for 24 hours a day apart from 15 minutes for a phone call. You just don't want to be a red shirt. Like, it's hell on earth. I can't describe it any other way. But my last two months were a red shirt and I can tell you now, I nearly didn't make it out of there. Attention, attention. Then she come back and she gave me a green tag and a green shirt and like, there you go, it's your lucky day, you're moving now to an open pod where you're not locked in the wings at night time. And it's paid off now, I've got one foot on the skateboard, I'm ready to go out the door. All clear, code blue, five acre one, cell two, all clear. Code blue, five echo one, cell two. There's code red, which means fire. And it goes off quite often when we know they've probably got um, some weed in or some cigarettes. Another code that goes off regularly is uh, yellow. Attention, attention, code yellow, fire. Which means a fight. And it goes off a lot and then you can hear the men yelling and screaming when the code yellow is called. There's Code blue, which means medical emergency. Code amber means officer in need of assistance. And there's code grey, which means hostage situation. There's code purple, which means bomb threat detection. And there's code brown. (laughs) What? (laughs) The yellows go off all the time. Yellow, amber, it's all the time all blue. Everybody's always having a chest problems with the chest because there's aircon at medical <laughs> you know you get some rest or you go up there and you see your boyfriend you know if you do the codes at the same time you could meet up there people do that yeah people do that mm. yeah it's true love from over the fence it's true love when you go to medical together yeah especially when you've both got heart problems <laughs> <laughs> Stop the podcast. Time for an advertisement. Are you feeling a bit flat and washed out? Maybe. A bit faded, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Put some brightness in your life with the new colour T-shirts. Oh! Yellow, green, blue, orange. We'll try to avoid the red. Red is limited edition only. Okay. Just head up to the office and, quote, Excuse me, sir, can I please have a new T-shirt? Start the podcast. 
Does skin colour matter in here? Most of the time, not. I don't reckon. Everyone um, gets along with everyone. We all friendly in here. They sometimes come and talk to me. I go and talk to them. Sometimes two white women come over. They call me Nana and Auntie sometimes, and that's good. Since growing up in Darwin, we're very multicultural here. So I just remember going to school with, you know, Asians, Blacks, Africans, like a whole mix, white people, like, and then coming in here, it's like the same. If anyone needs help with something, there's like 80 different women that we can go to for help. Yeah, it's good. Well, I can't speak for everywhere else in Australia, but I know watching American documentaries, like, has put a real stereotype on prisons. It's all rubbish. Um, You know, we don't, you know, separate each other by colour or anything like that. So it's not like what you see in documentaries. When people say skin colour isn't an issue in here, I don't buy it. There's more racism than anyone would ever know. I'm Indigenous, but because I'm fair, so they call me half-caste, I'm just a white dog. And here you got girls that are from one community that stick together and they all just gang up together and then hate other girls from different country and different states. I've got eight months to serve. It's just like being in a reserve. I've grown up in a mission with priests and nuns and we used to get pies on Sundays and ice cream. Now in this prison, well, lo and behold, 50 years later, I'm getting pies and sausage rolls on Sunday for lunch and I'm getting ice cream too. It's just like good old days. <laughs> Salty plum lips. Beauty. Hacks. Four. Looking good. In prison. <laughs> A really good face scrub is my oat scrub. So what I do is I get my oats that I, we get for breakfast, put it into a bowl, put a little bit of water into it, soften it up a little bit. Then I get selsun gold and I put that into the oats and then pop it onto your face when it's dry and leave it on as a mask for about 10 minutes and then wash it off and then put coffee underneath your eyes and it tightens up your skin. When I was young, my grandmother always told me to use lemon peel for my pimples. And when I came to jail, we had no way of getting rid of acne. So I used orange peel as an exfoliator and cleanser and toner. We squeeze the peel on our face, on our pores, and it just takes off the, closes them up and stuff and Makes them brighter. <laughs> I've been in prison for over a year now, but when I was in here for about six months, I was starting to break out and get all rough skinned. So a friend and I went and found some really fine grit sand that we washed in our little milk containers and cleaned it, and then we'd add honey to it and then use that as a, a face scrub. Yeah, it worked quite well. Then the officers took the containers off me and wouldn't let me collect anything anymore. Were they a little bit sus? Yeah, well, I'd actually collected puffballs as well because I was going to make a paint out of them and they thought I was eating them. What's a puffball? Puffballs are like a fungus that grows and on the inside you can get different spore colours as the puffball starts to mature. 
So if you actually melt down the puffball with a bit of um, baby oil, you can get it like a pigment. Are we talking magic mushrooms? Well, no, they're just little weeny puffbally round ones. <laughs> lovely delicious. Like lovely and delicious, but lovely delicious. <laughs> Another good thing that I like to use is a scourer. Um, so we get given one in our hygiene packs and we're supposed to use it for our dishes, but the, I actually take it out and I use it for my face. Six years ago at the infamous J Block in Berrima, we had a one-off occasion where the PSO bought over some avocado and Greek yoghurt. It was for facials and I'd been in jail for nearly two years, locked up in the main section. I ate both. We also had two little pawpaw trees, but I went out and I picked the baby shoots. I sat them on my windowsill and dried them and I made therapeutic pawpaw herbal tea. And then the officers cut the trees out because we weren't allowed to eat the greenery. Salty plum lips. Beauty hacks for looking good in prison. My ways of surviving in prison are I shut down emotionally, I put up walls, I don't let people in. Not trusting too easily and... Keep quiet. One of the ways I survive in here is pretending I'm not here. Attention, attention, sector four, prisoners move back. I pretend. My survival mechanism is to pretend. I pretend I smell lovely and sweet. I pretend my cell is a motel room. I pretend the exercise yard is a top deck of a cruise ship. I pretend all my cellmates are my best friends. I pretend the overflowing gutter outside my window is a waterfall with a large pond beneath it. I pretend the walk area is the streets in the city and I'm window shopping, walking past the elite shoes stores, quality clothing shops, luxury linen and bedding shops. I smile to myself as I walk, but all the time knowing the truth, knowing this is a survival mechanism. I'm not here forever. I'm not alone. I pretend my nails are painted, my face is made up and my food is gourmet. My single room is my sanctuary with a wardrobe full of beautiful dresses and silk underwear. I pretend my windowsill has a flower box with lovely scented flowers that bloom the colours of brightness. I pretend I enjoy being here. I pretend this is a holiday I have chosen because I am here. Next time on Bird's Eye View, we'll be talking about what it's like to be in prison with your mum. My mum was in prison before me, so she said I'd be okay, go up to these people and tell them that you're my daughter, that I'm her daughter and everything will be okay. And what it's like to be a mum in prison. Oh, you're not hungry.
plus some secret women's business. You know that theory about sinking of periods, women that live together, bleed together? It's true. Thanks for listening to Bird's Eye View, the first podcast made in Darwin Correctional Centre by us. The women from Sector 4. Sylvia. Nolene. Kay. Amy. Kellyanne. Bianca. Trisha. Kiara. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Brooklyn. Tace. Rocket. Dan. Jessica. Naomi. Sophina. Julie. Tegan. Joan. Yasmin. Sophie. Jesse. Kirsty Louise. Becky Boo. And Ashley. Bird's Eye View is presented by Story Projects. This episode was produced by Leah Sanderson and Cinnamon Nippard. Johanna Bauer is the executive producer. With mixing by Hamish Robertson of Tall Tale Audio. Our awesome theme music is by Katie Baker and is called Worth It. In this episode, you also heard music by Sorkia, Shirley Morris, Emily Uramara, Serena Peck, Sieta, Katie Baker, and Eleanor Dixon. Music coordination by Ben Andrews. Jeez Louise, it takes a lot of people to make a podcast. <laughs> Bird's Eye View was funded by another territory government and the Australia Council for the Arts. With support from the Prison Songs Impact Campaign and Audio Craft. Everything you've heard has been signed off by the Northern Territory Correctional Services. To hear more stories from women inside, search for Bird's Eye View wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. <laughs>